from the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City. This is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch the show on the ESPN app. Hour number two, Dan Grassin for Greeny on this football Friday on 98.7 ESPN. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. At Dan Grassi. You can get me on Twitter as well. All over the place in that first hour, of course, with the Jets and the Giants. Little baseball, little Knicks. And we'll do that again for another 60 here. We'll give you some NFL picks as we hop around the Week 10 slate in the NFL a little bit later on this hour. Also, let me tell you, though, that Adam Fox, boy, was he in the zone last night. Fox recorded four points in the Rangers' 8-2 route of the Red Wings. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Nice to see the blue shirt snap out of it last night and get back in the wind calm. They're in Nashville, Manana, and they got the Yotes coming up on Sunday at MSG. And no stopping those Red Hot Devils eight in a row. My goodness. I mean, it's only been years since they were this good, but you know, you take it eight straight for the team over in Newark. See if they can keep it going uh, in this young part of the hockey season, even though, you know, it's early in the hockey season, but Thanksgiving is that kind of like unofficial mile marker when you're talking about the NHL. I forgot what the exact number was, but I think it's something like 70% of the teams that are in a playoff spot come Thanksgiving end up holding that spot and making the playoffs. So that's where you want to be in a couple of weeks because Turkey Day will be here before you know it. Um, Will Aaron Judge have a new contract by the time you get to Thanksgiving? We can watch. We can wait. I personally don't think so. It's not going to happen that quickly. You're probably looking, I would say, by mid-December, if not the winter meetings, just shortly after to where he's going to make up his mind and his decision. He won the uh, Hank Aaron Award by Major League Baseball that they gave out, top hitter in each league. And he was on MLB Network. And Aaron talked about dealing with the pending free agency throughout the season and what that was like. It was tough in the beginning, you know, definitely in April when I think the first couple of weeks, I think it took me two weeks to get my first home run, two or three weeks to get my first home run. So there's a little doubt that creeps into your mind about it. And you kind of sitting there in the outfield kind of kicking yourself like, man, you know, I should have maybe should have taken that deal, you know. But, you know, after a couple of weeks and then just kind of talk with my teammates, talk with my family and say, hey, just, you know, clear all that, go out there and play and just be yourself. And, and things, everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to, man. It's all out of, it's out of your hands. It's, it's, it's out of your control. You know, just have the faith to go out there and play your game and like I always go back to this man but my Harold my teammates man they those were the guys that ride or die with me the whole season those are the guys that really pushed me day in and day out to to go out there and be my best man so I, I definitely wouldn't have been in this position or had the season I did if it wasn't for those guys I don't think and I'm not sitting here trying to insinuate that the Yankees are under this assumption I just don't think for the life of me that Aaron Judge is going to give the Yankees a hometown discount in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he's obligated to, and I don't think that he's inclined to in any sort of fashion because, you know what, if that was the case, he would have taken the contract that they put in front of him at the beginning of the season last year for $213 million. That was the whole part of betting on yourself, right? And going out there and having a season for the ages, and now he's in a position to strike because he knows 
that if the Yankees aren't going to be the ones to give him the contract that he wants, then there's going to be another team out there that does feel that, you know what, he is worthy of 330 or $340 million or whatever that number is going to be. It just doesn't have to be the Yankees. And he's well aware of that. He's a smart guy. You run the risk when you go to free agency. That means the 29 other teams can also get in on the bidding for your services, and I think he's prepared for that. Now, realistically... You open it up to 29 other teams, which you know that not all 29 teams are going to be able to afford him. Pittsburgh Pirates aren't writing a check for Aaron Judge that's going to be suitable for his talents. And it's the same thing that holds true for somebody like a Jacob DeGrom. You know, when you're DeGrom right now, you know, you're hearing like mixed signals. Right? Like one day you think that maybe, okay, he'll find his way back to the Mets. The next day you find out that he tells the Texas Rangers that, you know, he would be interested in pitching for them. He wants to get paid. Remember, the difference between somebody like DeGrom and Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge's contract reached its expiration. Hence, he became a free agent. Jacob DeGrom opted out of his contract. He had a deal already that would have paid him a lot of money. Hell of a lot of money to you and I for the next few years. But he decided, you know what? I got a couple of Cy Young Awards on my trophy case. After I signed this contract. And meantime, you got other pitchers who went out there and signed richer deals since I signed mine, like the guy who pitches across town and who gives up a home run every time you turn your head in Garrett Cole, who signed for $324 million. You got a guy on my own team in Max Scherzer who's getting $43 million a year. Where's my money? That's what he's after. And look, I think that the Mets certainly will pony up and make an honest effort to bring him back. The question is, is there going to be another team out there, i.e. a Texas, you know, maybe an Atlanta Braves, because those are the other two teams you're hearing that could be the thorn in the Mets' side. How far are they willing to go, and how long are they willing to go? I think that's also a big part of it, because, you know, you're hearing like a three-year deal that maybe the Mets would go for DeGrom. Three-year deal, opt-out maybe after two If he stays healthy and he's going out there and winning Cy Young Awards, and then who knows, he could cash in even again. But if there's a team out there, let's say Texas, if they throw four years at Jacob DeGrom, four years guaranteed, maybe he's going to be more inclined to take that. I don't know if the Mets are going to be willing to go four years because the difference between the Mets and all these other teams, you know what? They know him better than anybody else. Mets have seen the MRIs for the last few years when he's battled injuries on and off for the last couple of seasons, right? Mets know his health better than other teams do. So that's why there might be a little bit more hesitancy from their standpoint to pony up, let's say, an extra fourth year. Steve Cohen might decide to say, you know what, I got money. I'll give you 40-something million dollars a year, satisfy you on that end, but I just don't want to go too deep into the future because you haven't been as durable. Whereas another team, they might take that chance because they're like, hey, we got a chance to get a two-time Cy Young winner, a guy who, when he's healthy, he's the best pitcher in baseball. We need help. We need pitching. We're desperate. Here's your fourth year. Here's all your money. And I don't know if the Mets are going to play that game. I don't know if they're going to out, you know, get into a bidding war with another team. So if you're a Met fan, I think that that's what you guard against when it comes to losing DeGrom potentially. Now, Mets yesterday go ahead and they pick up the option for Carlos Carrasco for the upcoming season. Great. 
you know, no harm, no foul. What was it, 13 million, 14 million, something like that? That, that, that? That's pocket change to Steve Cohen. It's the money that's in between the two couch cushions. Nobody cares. And Carlos Carrasco, you know, he's okay. I'm trying to be kind here. He's okay. I think we saw that last year. At times, he looks really good. And at other times, he's extremely hittable. Carlos Carrasco, to me, looks like the same guy we saw in Cleveland all those years, if you watched him in Cleveland. And the book on him when they acquired him from people you talk to over there is that sometimes he's afraid to trust his stuff too much. And even when things are going good, he then wants to deviate from that game plan because he doesn't think that maybe he could keep it going doing with what he's been using that's been working. And already you're talking about a guy who's a veteran in this league. I don't know if he could teach an old dog new tricks, so to speak. Carlos Carrasco is no better to me than like a number four-ish starter. Nothing more, nothing less. But those are the dire straits that the Mets find themselves in right now, rotation-wise, that you had to bring back a Carlos Carrasco just for some stability. Because Taiwan Walker is a free agent. Taiwan Walker wasn't given a qualifying offer by the Mets, by the way. Chris Bassett was. Jacob DeGrom was. DeGrom's going to decline his. Probably Bassett will decline his, too. So they're going to be free agents. But right now, if the season was starting tomorrow, think about this for a second. Here's the Mets' starting rotation. Max Scherzer, Carlos Carrasco, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and Joey Lucchese. Wow. Needless to say, there's work to be done with the Mets. And that's why I don't think if you have a responsibility for the betterment of the entire ball club and the entire organization, if you're Steve Cohen, you're Billy Epler, the GM, you can't allow the Jacob DeGrom sweepstakes to linger on too late into this offseason. Because you're going to have other targets that are out there. Name any free agent pitcher or pitchers that are either available, guys who are trade targets potentially on other teams. You can't allow the parade to go on by and not take action because you've got a lot of holes you need to fill now. I mean, we're just talking about the pitching. Rotation needs help. Bullpen needs help. I mean, they got like nobody left in that bullpen right now who's under contract. It's Edwin Diaz and what, Drew Smith? Who else? And Drew Smith turned into a pumpkin after the first couple of months of the season last year. Did he not? And then he got hurt. So the Mets have a lot of concerns right now. I I mean, a lot of concerns. Like, if we're going to sit here and do a power ranking for the National League East, where are the Mets? Forget about the National League. Like, this was a team that during the season you thought could go to a World Series. Scherzer, DeGrom, you got Diaz in that bullpen. Mets were built for the postseason, yet they couldn't beat the Padres in the first round best of three. Now, with the way the ball club is structured presently, look at them in their own division. You still got to give the edge to the Braves. Braves won 101 games. They're still a team to beat. They got all their players coming back. Well, who knows about Dansby Swanson, but you know what? Even if Dansby Swanson leaves, they'll be fine. Number two, don't you also then, I think, have to put the Philadelphia Phillies in second place? They just went to a World Series. They have more certainty right now guaranteed to come back next year than the New York Mets do. And then he got the Mets. Because we're sitting here worrying about their rotation and their bullpen. And, oh, by the way, you guys like the offense? 
Do you? Because wasn't that something that needed shoring up and maybe needing a little bit of a boost as well? Like if you went into the offseason in a perfect world for the Mets and you said, oh, you know what? They got to bring in a bat. They got to bring in another impact bat. And what happens if Brandon Nimmo leaves? Because now you're here in Colorado, maybe Seattle. They're going to throw $100 million his way. I don't think the Mets are going to get into a bidding war for Brandon Nimmo. They're going to let him go, and they're going to just shift Starling Marte over to center field where he's played in the past. But you're losing a guy now who got on base. And even with him on the team, you still wanted to go out and bring in another impact bat. Mets got some work to do. Make no mistake about it. So, like, the focus is here on DeGrom because he's the biggest name. But if you're a Met fan, you should be a little bit concerned because there are a lot of holes in a lot of areas on this team which need shoring up. And I know that you got an owner who's the richest in the sport and he's got the biggest checkbook. But what are we talking about here? A $300 million payroll? Like, what is it going to take to get the Mets even back to where they were last year, which still, I remind you, was not good enough? Because you still lost in the first round of the playoffs. Looks like Kenny Galladay is indeed going to give it a go this Sunday. That'll be good for the Giants. Like I said, you're paying him. You might as well use him, right? I mean, he's, he's on the books. He's on the payroll. Might as well play him. So Brian Dayball saying that a little while ago, just meeting with the media, that it looks as if guy who was thought to be somebody who was going to be a big part of the Giant offense when the previous general manager signed him to a big old contract. Maybe he gets another opportunity to maybe get that in place starting this week against the Houston Texans. We shall see. Let's go to the phone. Santiago Jersey up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Santiago, how are you? How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah. Like, baseball is my game. I played baseball since I was a kid in, in mm-hmm. the yard, and that's my life. The Mets should go after three players and then fill up the bullpens, which is not Jacob, without Jacob DeGrand. They should go after George, Trey Turner, to see if he could play second base. I first uh, talked to him. And then go and sign Rondon and forget about Jacob DeGrand. And then I love Jacob DeGrand. I love him. But it's like you're saying. You can't take a chance even though he's uh, supposedly when he's healthy – the greatest player, the greatest pitcher, but that's when he's healthy. That's what people don't understand. That's when he's healthy. How about if we go and sign and he's never healthy? Like it has been the case for the past two years. A lot of people in New York area, they say, oh, this guy is the best. Well, I don't need the best sitting down. I need the best playing. As a, as a, as a team, you don't win by having names. You win by having players that perform. And that's the whole reason about the misunderstanding of people when they put together a team. They go after, after players, oh, the name, this and that. Well, how about the guy that is, 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 is past his time? Not, nothing wrong with it, but that's, that's a reality. Santiago, let me, st- let me stop you for one second, though. Let me, let me stop you for one second. And, and look, the point you're making about DeGrom is valid, and that's why the Mets are reluctant, and it's not a slam dunk that he's going to come back because maybe the Mets don't feel that they can trust him enough to stay healthy and pay him all that money. But I, I just want to clear one thing up because you threw it out there, and I'm seeing this in a lot of places. You know, that if the Mets lose DeGrom or whatever, the, the, the fallback option or somebody who, you know, would be more than adequate would be somebody like Carlos Rodon, who you said, who pitched last year with the San Francisco Giants, the lefty. I just want to remind people because maybe they don't know Carlos Rodon is not exactly an Iron Man when it comes to going out there on the mound and do you realize since 2015 which is when Carlos Rodon broke into the big leagues with the White Sox 
Jacob DeGrom has pitched 350 more innings approximately than Carlos Rodon has in the big league since 2015. So if you think that DeGrom is an injury concern, I just want to let everybody know that Carlos Rodon is also an injury concern and then some. So it's like you're getting rid of one potential headache and replacing it with another who's not as good of a pitcher either. Yeah, you got that right. But the investment in Carlos Rodon is going to be less if if I'm, I understand what you're saying. I, I'm going to have to check that out. But I would definitely go after three players, which or two players, which is George and and uh, Trey Turner. That's it. And then after that, I feel my bullpen because you need a good bullpen to win. And Jacob DeGrand is going to command at least $45, $47 million. And he's probably going to get four years from Texas. So why why take the chance? I, you know, Santiago, thanks for the phone call. Here's the thing. You know, you mentioned Trey Turner. I like Trey Turner a lot. I actually think that you could – there is an argument to be made. Like, I, I'm willing to sit here and actually engage in, in purposeful dialogue. That Trey Turner might have been the best player on the Dodgers last year. Like, like really and truthfully, and that's even a team that has Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Like, Trey Turner, pound for pound, is that good? You know, on some nights, he's that good. And the Mets saw plenty of him, certainly, when he was with the Washington Nationals in their own division. But do the Mets need a trade? Like, where are you putting Trey Turner if you're the Mets? You're going to stick him? Well, you can't stick him at shortstop because you got Lindor ready. You stick him at second base? I, I, I mean, I guess you can. Wouldn't be the end of the world. But then does that eat up a spot potentially for a Jeff McNeil? One less place that he could play. Like, I'm not into the whole thing either of, okay, let's sign Trey Turner, give him a whole bunch of money, and then put him in center field and, and to replace Brandon Nimmo, who could leave. I, I don't like that whole stuff, moving guys around the dime. I, I, I really want to avoid that at all costs. I just think Trey Turner is almost a luxury at this point for a team like the Mets. Because you know what? He's not going to come cheap. And I think that if you sign Trey Turner, I, I, you're going to cripple yourself in a couple of other areas. Like, you might not be able to get any quality arms or quality enough arms to be able to beef up not just the rotation, like we said, the bullpen as well. Mets need a lot of work. Like, it, it, it's funny to say for a team that just came off winning 101 games, and I know the owner's rich, but they got a lot of work to do. Really and truthfully. Now, ZipRecruiter makes it easy to hire for even the most specific role, like a mascot in Missouri. In fact, four out of five employers find a quality candidate within the first day. Try it free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, we got a lot to do here before we say goodbye. We're going to do some Week 10 picks in the National Football League. I also... I've been thinking about this. There's a situation that's playing itself out right now with another team in Major League Baseball and one of their executives. And I was thinking about the way his team views him and the way the Yankees have treated Brian Cashman for all these years. And I know that Yankee fans have been adamant and they've been angry and they've been vociferous about their dissatisfaction with their GM as another season passes with them not winning a world championship. And I want to compare and contrast the two. And you just imagine one versus the other when you look at their respective situations. 
Kiss of Death is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Dan Gross in for Greeny. We're taking it to the top. Then it's Barton Hahn on this Football Friday. Sad news that I just saw during the break here. Gallagher passed away. Now, you have to be of a certain age to remember Gallagher. A comedian used to go on stage, and his big, his big knack was <laughs> at the end of all his shows... He would take out a, a like a sledgehammer and just start bashing melons and fruit up on the stage. And so if you were sitting in like the first 10 rows, you literally had to bring with you some sort of poncho or protective gear because you were going to get fruit remnants all over you from the stage. So rest in peace to Gallagher. You, Ray, you remember Gallagher, right? How great was Gallagher? I don't know if I'm going to go great, but yes, I do remember Gallagher and it's Always very funny to see people just smashing stuff all over the place. The man just what? passed. What's that? You're going to say he's not great? The man just well, passed. That's what I mean. Well, that's what I mean. Like, if, if you say that it's, it's always fun to see somebody smashing fruit on stage, to me, that's greatness. That's innovative because nobody else was doing it. That's what made him such a genius. He was a fruit genius. Were there a lot of smoothies at these events? No. They didn't, this put, was, the, they didn't put the fruit to good use, you're saying? He might have actually been on the, the ground floor of, like, the smoothie craze, which has now taken over the land in the last couple of decades. Wow. Think about it. Somebody might, have, somebody might have seen Gallagher doing his thing. and like, hey, smoothies. Probably also key to the Fruit Ninja. The Fruit <laughs> right, Ninja the, app. Yeah. Exactly. The Fruit Ninja. I wonder if he got a piece of that. He should have. But rest in peace to Gallagher. That he, you know, growing up, it, that was funny. Whenever you see a Gallagher show on, it was always on cable, like you know, Showtime or something. Funny, funny stuff. Just seeing some lunatic up there bashing fruit. I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even remember any of his like material because I was young. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't even know like what his any of his bits were or jokes or whatnot. But the fact that he thought to put a bunch of fruit on a stage, take a hammer, and just bash the heck out of it onto the people that paid money to come see him perform, that was brilliant to me. Yeah, I'm brilliant. not even sure if we played a cut of him <laughs> that I would even know, be able to pick out that it was his voice. He had a little bit of like a twangy kind of accent when he would really get into it. So that would maybe... But yeah, is his like voice something that stands out? No, unless you hear like a sledgehammer following anything that comes out of his mouth, I wouldn't be able to tell you that that's Gallagher. Right? Like, he says, you know, if he says creamed corn, yeah, because he would even do, like, vegetables. He, I remember cream corn, bang, with the hammer. He didn't just keep it to melons and watermelons and all that. No, he, he, he did not discriminate. Anything that he could get his hands on and they could put up there, he would just absolutely smash. So, sad news. Anyway... Not to disparage that, of course. We just, you know, wax poetic about Gallagher and his contributions to comedy. I don't know if you guys have followed along what's been happening with the Houston Astros, apart from the fact that they just won the World Series. You would think that it would be a no-brainer, right? That, okay, you just won the World Series. You're on top of the baseball world. You really dominated the sport from wire to wire, including the postseason. You would think you would bring back your power structure and your leadership structure, right? If you're the ball club and if you're the owner, Jim Crane. Dusty Baker's contract was up at the end of the season. James Click, the general manager, his contract was up. Dusty got a contract. One-year deal. 
And now you could, you know, you could nitpick and say, well, you know, why not give him a multi-year deal? He, he just won you a World Series. How about giving him a little bit of security for his family himself? But Dusty, you know, part of it wanted to go year to year. I mean, he's 73 years old. I don't, I, you don't know how much longer he wants to do this. You know, if you're Dusty, you got your championship, right? You can put your feet up. You're going to the Hall of Fame. Enjoy life. So, okay, whatever. But James Click, the general manager, still doesn't have a contract. And apparently has rejected what Jim Crane, the owner, is offering him. Now, I say this because James Click is somebody who spent years with the Tampa Bay Rays. And when everything hit the fan with the cheating scandal back in 2020 for the Houston Astros, and Jeff Lunau, the former GM, was fired, and A.J. Hinch, the manager, was fired, they brought in Dusty Baker. They hired James Click to be the new general manager. And just think about what they've accomplished already. You know, they won a World Series this year. They were in the World Series last year. You know, there's this, this perception that, like, the cheaters of 2017's championship were in lockstep with this group that just won the World Series. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. There were only five guys on this year's Astros team, five players, that were part of that 2017 championship team. So they've really overhauled this roster with the exception of a handful of guys. That deserves recognition. That deserves being rewarded. And I bring this up only because think about the situation involving Brian Cashman and Yankee fans who want this guy out of here and want somebody else in and are completely dissatisfied that their team spits the bit every year when they get to the playoffs and haven't been back to the World Series since 2009 and haven't won a championship since 2009, but have only been to that one World Series in the last 20 years. So think about that for a second. Brian Cashman's been the general manager of the Yankees for going on 25 years. Been to one World Series in the last 20. His contract is up too, but by all indications, it sounds like he's going to be back. He's going to be here for a few more years and get to take another run at this team and, and, and try to build it up again to try to go win a championship. Meantime, you got the James Click situation in Houston. This guy won a World Series, was in the World Series a year ago, and yet the owner is lowballing him and isn't going to reward him based on his performance. Like, think about the contrast between those two. If I ask a Yankee fan right now, who do you want to be your general manager? The guy who's only gotten you to a World Series once in 20 years or a guy who's gotten to two straight World Series and who's going to be wearing a shiny big old ring on his finger in the next couple of days? Well, maybe not the next couple of days. They get their rings next year. But you get my point. It's funny how the two franchises do business. And I guess that that's why one is on top of the baseball world and it's another one who's still trying to find ways to get back up there. You know, and are steeped into their analytics and all that stuff. Not that the Astros aren't, but I don't know. Hadn't really worked out for them that well, has it? Anyway, that's an odd look as far as I'm concerned. When you're talking about the Yankees and the Astros and the general managers, that, that, that's a little puzzling to me. Anyway, let's do some picks, shall we? Let's get some picks out of the way. A little Week 10 edition of the Picks. In the National Football League. Love the music. Love it. Absolutely love it. Gets me in the mood. Can run through a brick wall right now. If I had to. I don't know if I would have to. I'm not the Kool-Aid guy. Anyway. 
Game number one. Came up with five here. You can find these on the Cover 5 app. You know we love the Cover 5 app. You should all be in the ESPN New York League. Trying to see if we get off to a good start. Game number one. Let's go to the Music City. Broncos. Titans. Remember, Denver actually won a game. They won it in Europe, so I guess that still counts. Last time we saw them against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're coming back off the bye. And now they got to go play a Tennessee team, which, by all accounts, probably should have won that game last Sunday night in Kansas City. Even though Patrick Mahomes gained like 500 yards by himself, they still needed overtime to beat the Titans. And they did this with Malik Willis only completing five passes. Only completed five passes. And they still probably should have won the game. But it looks like Ryan Tannehill is back. Look, I'm no Ryan Tannehill fan. I'm not. He is what he is. He's still a placeholder more than anything else. Derrick Henry's the bell cow for that team. Looks like they're getting a little healthier at wide receiver. So maybe that helps the passing game a little bit. Traylon Burks, the first round pick. He might be ready to contribute here soon. I think Tennessee gets healthy here in more ways than one against this Bronco team. Denver's offense is horrible. Going on the road, this is a tricky spot for them. If Tannehill plays, which by all accounts it sounds like he's going to, he's practiced the last couple of days, give me Tennessee minus three. They'll handle the Broncos in our first game of the week here. That is game number one. Game number two will go down to Miami. It's going to be hot. It's going to be warm. Dolphins, they're a good football team. That offense, Tua. Tua's legit, folks. He's the real deal. Tua's at home. And he's welcoming in the Cleveland Browns off a bye week. Remember, they looked good last time out on that Monday night against their rival, the Cincinnati Bengals. That was back on Halloween night. But Cleveland really has not found their footing on the road yet this year, despite the fact that they've played a couple of close games. Played three road games this year. They lost by two, or they, the games were decided by two points, three points, and three points. So they haven't been awful. But I think they could be walking into a buzzsaw in this situation because I'm really, really buying into this Dolphins defense. Bradley Chubb now has an extra week under his belt, getting a little bit more acclimated with this system. I could see him wreaking some havoc off the edge. You know, if Deshaun Watson was back for the Browns, I'd say, all right, maybe I look at this a little bit differently. But I think that the Dolphins will do a decent enough job. I say decent enough job slowing down Cleveland's run game. And two on that offense are going to have their way with the Brownies at home. Line isn't that much. Give me the Dolphins minus four. They'll take care of the Browns in game number two. Game number three. I'm buying it. At least for a week, I'm buying it. And that are the Bears. Justin Fields at home. Lions got a win last week. Good for the Lions. Good for Dan Campbell. Right? But how many boneheaded throws did Aaron Rodgers have to make in that game for the Lions just to even scratch and claw their way to a victory? A narrow victory at that. Justin Fields has had big games now two of the last three times out. As I said earlier, the Bears are actually letting him do what he does best. Run the football. Detroit's 0-3 on the road. They can't stop anybody on the ground. Anybody. So whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's the stable of backs that the Bears have, I think Chicago's just going to run it up and down the field all afternoon long. I know it's a rivalry game. I know it's a division game. I don't care. How about Chicago minus three? They'll handle the Lions and put an end to Detroit's flirtation with prosperity after one week. That is game number three. Game number four. I was going to stay away from this one, but you know what? 
Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's go up to Orchard Park. The Bills. They limp home after getting waxed. If you could call three points waxed. By the fighting Robert Salas last week at MetLife Stadium. You don't know if Josh Allen's going to play. Doesn't sound like he's going to play. Hadn't practiced the last two days. They're very hush-hush on that elbow. Courtesy of Bryce Huff. Bills have scored 25 touchdowns this year, boys and girls. 25 of them. Josh Allen has accounted for 23 with both his arms and his legs. Josh Allen has accounted for 82% of the Buffalo offense this year in terms of yardage. Take that away from the Bills. They're not the same football team. They might as well have me at quarterback. Although I could sling it in my day. Don't get me wrong. Case Keenum is a drop-off. Now, Case Keenum is playing his old team, if need be, in the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know if there's any sort of revenge there. They decided to move on from him and go chase Kirk Cousins. Whatever. Bottom line is, though, the Bills are a good football team. Defensively, they're good. They're home, so they have that going for them. Minnesota's got to lose one of these games, right? They've won six in a row. They were fortunate to escape Washington last week, almost lost to the Commanders. I'm still not all in on the Vikings in this 7-1 record, so I'll preface it with this. Even if Josh Allen doesn't play, and right now I'm expecting him not to play, I think the Bills will still have enough to eke out a game, especially coming off of the loss last week. They'll stick to the run game, not ask Case Keenum to do too much, and I think the defense will force Kirk Cousins into a couple of miscues, which could kind of shift the balance in this game. It's six and a half points I'm getting, so I'll take the points with Minnesota, but I think the Bills will win a squeaker up at Orchard Park on Sunday. That is game number four. Game number five, you know, we'll keep it local. We'll keep it local. Jets are off, so all of our attention goes to the Giants. We talked about it earlier in the show. Yeah, I know that there's some apprehension off of the bye week. Yeah, I know that it's a trap game, and you could be looking past the Texans. You could already be looking at Thanksgiving and the Cowboys. Texans stink. I actually think this is going to be a game in the first half. You know why? Because the Giants don't get out of the gate strong, usually. They're a good second-half team. Much better second-half team than they are a first-half team. So I don't think they're going to literally run away with this game right off the bat. They're going to make you sweat it out in the first half, and you're going to think, oh, what were they doing during the bye week? Were they practicing? What, were they all riding ATVs? I'm kidding. We know one guy was, unfortunately. But I think in the second half, the Giants are going to flex their muscles. They're going to wear out the Houston Texans. Houston's run defense is abysmal. Saquon Barkley's going to have a huge afternoon. Daniel Jones is going to have a huge afternoon. I think maybe even more with his legs than in arms. It'll be enough. Giants will win this one by two scores. I think they will get that at least by the fourth quarter here. So the six and a half I'm taking with the Giants. They will beat the Texans and get to 7-2 and two and get ready to welcome in the Detroit Lions the week after that. So the games, Giants minus 6.5, Minnesota plus 6.5, Chicago minus 3, Miami minus 4, and Tennessee minus a field goal. Those are the Grassa Week 10 picks in the National Football League. Now, 
couple of other games worth watching this week. Obviously, you got Seattle-Tampa Bay in Munich, Germany. 9.30 kickoff Sunday morning, so breakfast and football, nothing wrong with that. And that's a good game. On paper, that's a good game. You know, I have the Bucks. you know, certainly gotten some confidence here after winning that low-scoring affair against the Rams. Good test for Seattle to kind of validate themselves against a team with Tampa Bay's pedigree. And, and, and I think the biggest train wreck game of the week, one of those games where you can't look away from it. It's so bad, it's good. Indianapolis and Vegas in the four o'clock window. Josh McDaniels against the team that he took the job and then only to back out from it the next day, remember, with the Colts. And Jeff Saturday in his coaching debut. Wow. This has all the makings of a spectacular catastrophe. It is an oxymoron, but a spectacular catastrophe in Vegas. I can't wait to see it.